Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I, the first time that I know that fear has a taste. Fear actually has a taste, you know. You taste in your mouth. It's very bitter. It's like, you, you like, you like choking. And so, like, I saw death so many times, you know. Today, we've got a classic on the edge interviewee in the form of Mohamedou Oud Salahi, who was detained in Guantanamo Bay for 14 years and is considered by some to be Guantanamo's most tortured prisoner. Raised in the African country of Mauritania, before moving to Germany, Mohamedou was suspected of having links to terrorism after 9-11. It should be noted that he had indeed been involved in Al-Qaeda in the 90s, but this was before they were the terrorist group we know of today who flew planes into the Twin Towers. In fact, Mohamedou was fighting alongside the Americans and other allies with Al-Qaeda against the communist government of the time in Afghanistan. So it's all a bit complicated. Yet after 9-11, he was arrested and sent to Guantanamo Bay, where they tried to get information out of him about Al-Qaeda and September 11th and what happened. He, of course, had nothing to tell them, which is not a good thing when you're being tortured, because there's no way of stopping the cruelty. In this episode, first we debate a little about the nature of terrorism and how it should be stopped. And then in the second half, Mohamedou talks about his personal experience and the kind of torture that he endured. This included sleep deprivation, isolation, temperature extremes, beatings, and sexual humiliation. He was even taken out on a boat one time for a mock execution when he thought that he was going to die. Some of this is very emotional and hard to listen to, particularly how he describes seeing his mother for the last time. It is also tough at times because Mohamedou is speaking in his third or fourth language and does a fantastic job of it. It does start to get easier on the ear as it goes on, so do please stick with it. Follow Mohamedou Ould Salahi on Twitter. There's a link in the show notes. And get his book, The Guantanamo Diary, in all the usual places. He was also the subject of a new film with Jodie Foster and Benedict Cumberbatch called The Mauritanian. So give that a watch. Unfortunately, as you'll hear at the end, there was no bonus episode today. Mohamedou felt tired after going into all of that history, which can't have been easy for him. And there's not much I can do when the guest isn't feeling up to it. But I hope that those of you on Patreon and Apple Podcasts, along with the rest of you, are still enjoying the three new episodes I released for Halloween. Uh, People seem to be really enjoying those. Um, And that should be keeping you all busy, I hope. Please do sign up anyway on patreon.com slash Gold or Apple VIP area. Just subscribe on Apple Podcasts and find my YouTube page on youtube.com slash Gold one I've got some cool lights behind me now. Uh, I'm like a proper YouTuber and I'll be in the chat alongside the video for next week's video at 6pm UK time on Monday. So come along. Uh, I'm going to try and do that most Mondays at 6pm UK time. And then you can subscribe to the YouTube channel and just come and say hi. Um, Trying to grow that page. So I'm doing these sort of live premieres of the videos. Uh, Next week is Professor Paul Bloom to talk about why we sometimes need suffering in our lives. 
something today's guest expands on at the end of the episode. But now, here he is, it's Muhammadu Uld Salahi. Okay, testing, testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. How do I sound? Uh, you sound funny, but it's good. <laughs> That's my voice. <laughs> you should buy a new one. <laughs> buy a new voice? Yeah, go Amazon.com. Yeah, they don't have they don't make voices as good as my voice anymore anymore. <laughs> you you know you know something? I got somebody got in touch with me recently on Twitter. Okay. And he was a scientist and he was doing a collection of um, 50 voices and he needed people from the population to uh, say which were their favorite voices. And mine was number six out of 50. Well, that's in UK. He he asked me to speak French. So I had to speak French in it because he wanted it to not be English. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. (laughs) Okay, that's. Okay, yeah. that's approved right there. Right? And that number one was uh, Thierry Henry. Do you know him, the footballer? Thierry Henry, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, he was number number one, his voice. Um, so, tell me, Mohamedou, is that how you pronounce your name correctly, Mohamedou? Mohamedou, correct. Mohamedou, yes. What are you doing at the moment? You're in Dubai? I am in Dubai. I'm working uh, as the godfather of the Mauritanian Pavilion. They use my uh, uh, profile, my status as a public figure to promote tourism and uh, to promote like, you know, the country and make it known in the world. Is that a nice job? Nice job. You just need to show your face and then you get paid. Mm. Not a lot of money because it's a volunteer work, but I'm enjoying life and like mm. everything like in my life is so beautiful and enjoyable because uh, I know how it looks when you have nothing. Let's start at the beginning because I just want to know Mauritania, that's where you're from, right? But I also heard you grew up in Germany. Yeah, I moved to Germany as a teenager because I won a scholarship to study uh, in Germany and I stayed there 12 years. Wow. And, and so Germany, where in Germany? I'm just interested because I was in Germany. Really? So I studied at the uh, University of Duisburg. Uh, back then, the, it was called Gerhard Mercator University. Okay. Now it's called the uh, Duisburg Essen University. On the West. It's very close to Holland. Like, uh, like the, 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 the border is like 20 kilometers away from. Okay. Du kannst Deutsch dann? Natürlich kann ich Deutsch. Ja, wir können auf Deutsch sprechen, wenn du willst. Natürlich, das können wir auch. <lacht> aber nicht wirklich, weil niemand uns verstehen kann. Natürlich, aber <lacht> Mashallah, dein Deutsch ist wirklich sehr gut. Ah, your Und German's good. Ja, well, yeah, we've got to get out of, Germ- out of German now, because people won't understand. Ja, <lacht> yeah, absolut. What we said, we said that we are going to plan to kill someone. Yes. Because uh, German language always <laughs> sounds very violent. Yeah. And I think all Germans should thank Arabs because we took the heat off their back. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you've got to be careful, Mohamedou, saying stuff like that, that we were planning to kill people, given your I am your not past. in the US. That's, yeah. That would only get you 
get you arrested in the U.S. I'm not in the U.S. Yeah. I'm in a place where we uh, glorify war and violence. So okay. no, no need. And Man. you know, we get all the violence exported by the U.S. and they help us kill each other. Man, you've got you've got a sense of humor, Mahamadou. Really? <laughs> it's nice to, yeah, it's nice talking to people with a sense of humor. Yeah, I have no filter, people say, and I don't need any. Well, fair enough. That's good. And I don't want you to have a filter. Tell me, for people who don't know, and there are people, some people who don't know, what is Guantanamo Bay? Guantanamo Bay is a military base uh, uh, that is on a Cuban territory. You know, it's just a rock, a small rock, you know, small island that was uh, given to the United States of America, I think 1840 or something like that. And after the the so-called war on terror, after the tragic event of 9-11, the United States of America used that territory that is controlled by the U.S., but not part of the U.S., to, uh, rend, uh, to rendition people and uh, subject them to torture where they uh, hope to evade uh, punishment and to evade the law of mm. the land. And so far, they were very successful. They collect, they uh, rounded up about 800 detainees. I was part of those. I was one of the first detainees. And uh, to this day, uh, a little bit under 40 detainees are still uh, in the island on the, in this prison. It's not legal what they're doing then. Why doesn't the UN step in and do something? Is that not possible? The UN is as strong and as law obedient as the, uh, the parties of the UN because UN is not an independent body. The UN uh, consists of all the countries. The United States of America is arguably the most powerful country in the world. And if they, not only the United States of America is the so-called leader of the free world, like your country, for instance, they are the leader of the UK. And uh, in that, they are uh, democratic. They base their country on the rule of law and they respect the rule of law. And when the United States of America says they will no longer uh, respect the rule of law, the United Nations can do nothing because uh, the United States is one of uh, five countries that wield veto power. And uh, veto power is so powerful that if uh, the United States doesn't want any condemnation, that condemnation will not happen, or if China, or if the UK for that matter. And this is so unfair and so undemocratic, you know. So there is no way to punish the, 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 the mm-hmm. United States. It gets, it gets, it gets much worse. Yeah. Uh, a few months back, uh, I just want your uh, audience to understand how bad it is. A few months back, the, the international uh, the International Court in The Hague, that is a court that is specialized to uh, prosecute war criminals, people who did horrific crimes against humanity. And they, they saw that there, there was enough evidence to prosecute uh, Americans who uh, participated 
in uh, war crimes in Iraq and in Afghanistan. But I think they, they were like going after those in Afghanistan. And the United States issued a very stern warning. They stripped the, the entry visa of all uh, lawyers, judges, who ever dare to comment or to go after uh, United States citizens. And, uh, and uh, they, uh, they said that they will be subjected to uh, sanctions. You know, it's like so bad that in a democratic country, the weak people are subject to the rule of law and the powerful are not subject to the rule of law. This is not a world that I would like to live in or any decent human being would like to live in. And, and you were subject to that law, weren't you? And um, they held you under the Authoriz Authorization of Use of Military Force Act that was implemented one week after September 11th. Why did they think you were part of Al-Qaeda? In the 1991. 91? Mm. Twice. 91 and 92. And I spent each time about two months. And in 92, it was so ugly. You know, I was very young then. Uh, I was the first time I was 19, 20. And uh, it was so bad the second time that I decided to go back and never turn my back, you know. And uh, of course, those people I was fighting uh, with and w where America was helping, and we have the weapons delivered from America. My first interrogator was with us. My first interrogator in Guantanamo Bay was working with the Navy, US Navy, and he was bringing money and interrogating the uh, communist uh, detainees. And uh, Germany was, so it was so official that I got my visa in Bonn from the Mujahideen Embassy. They call it Informations Bureau. Uh, Fonden Mujahideen, Information Bureau of the Mujahideen, they were the one with the authority to issue visas. To, um, so, and I came back, you know, but that was no big deal, I guess. Uh, in 98 or late 98 or early 99, I received a phone call from my cousin. And it was really an emergency call because he needed, his father was in the hospital and he needed me to help him wire some money. But there was a problem. This was like any everyday call, you know? And of course I helped him. But the problem was that he called from a phone that was registered under the name of Osama bin Laden. And, and uh, he was a friend of Osama bin Laden. And the phone was being listened to by some US agency, probably NSA or the USA. And then I was tagged. Everything I did, everything I said was interpreted as evil stuff. So, so just to reiterate, just because there's a lot of information in there. Um, so you were supporting the Mujahideen against the communist government at the time, uh, fighting alongside America and the Germans, which, which is how you got And the, the UK and, and the UK. France and Mauritania. And the Gulf yeah. state, do you want you to add more? <laughs> um, you're welcome to, but I think people get the message. Um, and then your brother called you with Osama bin Laden's... Brother-in-law. Brother-in-law called you. How did, Even if he was friends with Osama bin Laden, why was he using his phone? I mean, this is like 98. Like, 
القاعده واز كولد سو واز ديزيجنيت از تيرس جروب اراوند ذات تايم اس واز نوت ات واز نوت سين از تيرس جروب ات واز جاست سين وسابلاد ات واز جاست لايك اوبوزيشن تو ذا سعودي جفرمنت ذات ات واز يو نو هي وونتد تو تشينج وات ايفر تشينج واز ان هيز مايند يو نو he wanted some kind of change and that when he was like uh, when he was like banned from the country yes, he was getting like more and more extremist you know yeah yeah but that was no no one knew al qaeda until the nine i think very late 98 when they when america said that they attacked Nairobi and Dar es Salaam, the embassies. And how did you feel at that time about America? Um, and wh- how did you feel about what Al-Qaeda were doing? Hmm. Uh, okay. I can think and give you an answer that would please the people and would make me look very good. Oh, it was horrible people. I don't have time to analyze and think. This is just a piece of news. This is not something I consume myself every day. You think I, I we sit like drinking Mauritania and said, oh, let's discuss the United States of America, what they do. Said, we don't talk about this stuff. We talk about how we get bread, uh, why I work in this company and they don't raise, why the taxes take from me 40 freaking percent of my money every, you know. In Mauritania? Of course. Of course. Yeah, and in Germany, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and uh, like, and of course, occasionally we discuss, you know, in the sentence, and there is, I go to demonstration too, you know, and yeah. demonstration to like, uh, like to, you know, to for Palestinians most, you know, mm. and then that's not very popular when you are being interrogated by the U.S. intelligence. One of the questions, I tell you, my brother, uh, Andrew, I was shocked, you know, uh, when I was asked by this uh, panel, you know, PRB panel, uh, period, period, uh, periodic review board. Hmm. It's like parole board that they review detainees. Yeah, and one of them asked me, what's your position on the conflict between Israel and Palestine? And I was taken aback. And I knew this was not a question for freedom of speech. I knew it right away. Yeah, that's rather, <laughs> that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It's just yes, it's so yes. unrelated. Yes, and this is almost like a lie. I mean, this is like, this is a lawyer were there. And you can ask them, they would tell you, we cannot reveal, we cannot comment on this, but I can comment because I don't get paid not to comment. And then I was taken aback. And you know, if you would have said like uh, just a regular political opinion, you know, like let's say, if you say, of course, if you say I'm with Israel, that's a good answer. And, but if you say, I think that Palestinians need to have their own state and that the Israelis are oppressive power, you know, this is just an opinion. This is not something, someone who, who is calling for violence, you know. Everybody, every dissident condemns violence, you know, against citizens, whatever country, you know. People who are not fighting, who are not raising weapons against you should not be killed. 
But this opinion will have landed you in Guantanamo Bay forever. That's extraordinary. But ask me what was my answer. Uh, I, I guess you were, well, it sounds like you were probably very honest. Yes, I'm very honest, but I told him I'm not commenting. I'm not Israeli mm. nor a Palestinian. Yeah. So I have no business to, uh, you know, to comment on things that don't regard me. Ask me about my country, you know. You should have said Israel. <laughs> and you, you know, know that. <laughs> but I, of course. But this is like so political and we should make a revolution. And, you know, when I came to your country in uh, July and August, I was in London. I was horrified. I was shaking at the airport, like giving my passport, you know. I don't know what they would do to me. This is not a democracy when you didn't do anything and you are afraid. This, this is something that you really need to think about. And people like you, young people like you, where did you, what, how much do, do you allow or are you going to go and allow uh, the politician and the people who wield power in your country to do to human rights violations? Do you know that in the United Kingdom, they can arrest you for 48 hours and they don't need any warrant and there is no accountability whatsoever. They can pick you up, interrogate you, I think 48 hours, throw you on the street, no question asked. It's terrible. You, but you know it's what, I have, to, yeah. I, have to, I have to, you know, just, just in the interest of journalistic um, impartiality, we have to look boredom. at the other side. Yes, out of boredom. Okay, go ahead. I, no, just 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 that um, you know, uh, people are scared, and so I think people probably, even if they were aware of that, they think, oh, maybe that's good because sometimes they might catch some of the bad people. And I'm saying for some people, they might think, okay, maybe it's worth having this rule where they can they can keep someone for 48 hours because sometimes they'll stop somebody from blowing up a building or something. You know, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how people might feel. Absolutely, you know, I'm not. Andrew, I'm not challenging this idea even, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make any argument win against the other. No. But I can only tell you uh, this thing. In Mauritania, we have a very big discussion. Uh, those late, like in those uh, last months, the crime, you know, the perception that there are so many criminals, like stabbing and like, uh, mm. pa pocket picking, uh, picking. I don't know what's Yes, called. yes, pickpocketing. Yeah, yeah, pickpocketing, and so so those crimes, and you know that some sometimes results in tragic death, and people going on the street. We need Sharia law. We need we need those people to be public executed. And I'm just looking and laughing, because I know you need to start with uh, social justice. You need to give people job. You need people uh, need to have enough food to eat. People needs you need like to replace the drugs with real food, and replace going to sell drugs with real job. That I know in my inside where you start. Yeah, and I say the same thing in the UK. You start by not like fueling war, by not supporting dictators. You know, by you start with this. You know, it's a very good start. So you know what? <laughs> yeah. We are not supporting dictatorship anymore. We are standing for human rights and we respect the rule of law. I mean, you know, instead of like uh, those people who are not very well informed about, you know, safety and so saying, kill people. 
if you find someone who is stabbing someone, give him in the public and kill them. Hmm. You know, just like when I hear the discussion, there was this, uh, this uh, gun lobby, you know, in the US. Yeah. yeah. And I remember this always like in my ear, the only way to stop a guy with the gun is the good guy with the bigger gun, you know. <laughs> I, you know, but again, all of these things, and you know this as well, like all of these things are a case of one freedom against another. So for that American person who, for them, uh, for some reason, having a gun is very, very important to them culturally, and they feel threatened when that is taken away from them. Um, for me and for you, it seems outrageous because, I mean, I grew up, I've never seen a gun in my life. I can't, it's very hard for me to understand. And I just want to say that what, what you were saying, I think about, uh, you know, public execution for pickpockets and stuff like that, that sort of justice, as you said, or what people think is justice or punishment. But I think when uh, governments are trying to take people away who they think might be terrorists, the idea behind it is not so much punishment, but preventative measure. They they think that they are helping to prevent something bad from happening. It's just that they might get this wrong a lot. Yeah, I really want to comment on that. because mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to challenge these whole ideas. I really do believe that the brain of your generation, you are a millennial. It's so programmed and you guys swallow this whole, I would say, I, I don't say garbage because I would say something neutral. The narrative, you are so swallowing this whole narrative that to say, you know what, let them listen to my conversation because maybe there is, I'm going to speak very openly. There is an Arab guy in London maybe or in New York who is saying something bad, and I want him to catch that guy because I have nothing to hide. So this is like, in my country, there are people who say that we don't need democracy. We need a very strong man in power. You know, this is like saying, I want to be enslaved. I want you to pin me on my bed and enslave me. I don't want slavery. I, I want that democracy is good. The second point, I think terrorism is a sham. Very openly I'm saying this, because terrorism must not be a crime in a democracy. Why? Because one, we don't agree who is a terrorist. We do not, that's a fact, that's not my opinion. Terrorism in Iran is not in China, it's not in America, it's not even the US and the UK. You know, the closest allies, UK, they differ in the, in defining mm. who are the terrorist group. You're saying one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. Absolutely. There is no agreement. And this, the third thing, terrorism is abused in all countries to, uh, to oppress people who ask for legitimate, who have legitimate grievances and to ask for participation, political participation, and to ask for freedom of speech, they say those are terrorists. And no one can talk. If someone tells you are a terrorist, everything is okay to do with you. You can be disappeared, you can be tortured, you can be killed, and your family could be disappeared. You know, there, is, there are no, because what the, this like fictitious regime, I would say now, that is a dictatorial that does not exist on this planet. 
when they say we are dealing with terrorists, just like America dealt with terrorists and said they do not deserve to be treated with the rule of law. I was called this, I take this very personal. I was tortured and put in prison for more than 15 years and five years in house arrest. And I know that I'm innocent. The court shows that I'm innocent. The people who prosecuted me have it written, black on white, that I'm innocent. They don't say innocent, but they said, quote unquote, there is no evidence he did anything. What happened to you is is absolutely horrific. It's really, really horrible. And we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, and I, I would just like to say that I like when you, you challenge me. So don't, please don't stop challenging me. It makes the podcast much more enjoyable. Um, and that's what a democracy is, is people, you know, you, you, in your view is very important. Um, and, and you have a lot of experience in it, a lot more, a lot more than I do. So I have to respect it. Um, what I would say about terrorism, so you talked about democracy, and I suppose the democracy of each country, uh, I suppose the majority is who decide, fairly or not, what terrorism is in that country. And uh, if if you're saying that um, terrorism sh- should not be a punishable crime, then what would you say about, for example, um, Anders Breivik in Norway? Uh, you know, he killed 70 kids, some sort of statements about Muslims. He didn't want Muslims in the country. That was a terrorist act. So what would you want to happen to him? Uh, So when I say philosophically terrorism should not be a crime, cannot be a crime, I did not say murder is not a crime. I did not say Shooting at people is not a crime. I didn't say destroying property is not a crime. Those are crimes that everybody agrees on. And we only put terrorism just for political uh, uh, blah. So that's just that, you know. Why should we make free publicity for so-called terrorists? Those violent people, they, they have the right to be forgotten. You know, they don't have the right to be heroes. And when we call them terrorists, that, okay, there is like, they have now a mission. I'm not calling you anything but a very petty murderer who is stabbing people in the back. You cannot look them in the face. You kill them, people who are queuing for bread or who are waiting on their uh, tramway. You kill them. You don't even give them a chance to fight back. You know, that's the, the worst kind of crimes. You know, all I'm saying that we should not use the word terrorism because with I think that it's been abused and I know there's evidence everywhere. I'm not uh, I'm not belittling like the horrific crimes that are resulting from these politically motivated crimes. I understand. And I think what's happened to you is that you were involved in some politics that at, at some point maybe didn't correspond with the politics of the United States, which is Absolutely. no crime, right? We live in, as you say, a democracy and people should have different views and things. Um, and as, as far as you, you know, as far as you say, you didn't contribute to the crimes such as deaths and uh, uh, violent terrorist acts. And yet you were taken uh, to, to, at first to a Jordanian prison. Is that right? So what happened? Tell me, tell me, were you in Germany at the time? Uh, no. So I just want to add one more thing to terrorism. Please. In the United States, in the United States, you cannot designate American groups as terrorist groups. You cannot. It's against the law because it 
conflict with the freedom of speech, but Americans designate UK groups as terrorist groups. This is so much disrespect to human rights and disrespect to other countries. This is fascism. This is nationalism that is turning into fascism. You cannot name me one single American group that is designated terrorist, and I agree with them. <laughs> Ironically, I agree with the United States. You cannot designate groups as criminals. That does not exist. You have to, you have to single out the criminals. KKK has the right to express themselves and to say they hate Arab and they hate Muslim. That's their right, you know. But you cannot designate them. And America said we cannot designate. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, you need to research this. Well, this is my research. Absolutely. I'm saying this. I know this is going to be challenged. There is not one single American group that is designated as terrorist because you cannot designate them. But you can designate UK groups. You can designate Arab groups anyway, you know. And that's fascism, you know, when you say my people are beyond anything, and but UK people, Mauritanian people don't deserve the same rights. That's disrespectful. And America is good for America. But why UK is accepting this? Why Mauritania is accepting this? Oh, yes, they want, I know, Al-Muhajirun. I don't know what's the name of the group. That is, okay, Al-Muhajirun is a terrorist group. Yes, UK is applauding this. <laughs> Are you applauding? Yeah. You know, you say, you know what? If I was UK Prime Minister, I would say, no, I don't accept this uh, bullshit. Yeah, you know, this, this in is my a very, country, <laughs> it's yeah. a very smart, smart way of of because um, you know the audience of this podcast. So it's the US against the UK. They're gonna, really? they're gonna yeah, I know what <laughs> I know what you're doing here. I, I see absolutely, yeah. The, it may, I understand what you're saying. There have been times, I can just think historically, of course, I mean, um, McCarthyism, I think it was in the 50s or 60s when America went after their own people uh, who they thought were Communist. communists. A lot of them yes. Jewish Jewish people, of course, as well. Yes, uh, absolutely. But Americans. Um, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe without labeling them terrorists, but they still must, they still uh, definitely spy on their own. And they oh, yes, own. yes. And they spy on Muslims because... Mm. When you, of course, of course, there is uh, horrific stuff against uh, Muslims, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I just wanted to, to, I want that audience to say, American people are good people, you know, mm. and the government cannot do everything they want because they have the courts. And uh, it's not like, you know, there are a lot of people calling for like domestic terrorist groups, you know, but they cannot designate them because and this is like a debate where I agree with the, with the conservatives because the conservatives say, no, you cannot call our groups like terrorists. And I agree with them because I know this is abuse, you know. Like KKK would not be able to buy bread anymore. Everywhere you cannot give them money because you are supporting terrorists. If I see a KKK person on the street who, who does not have anything to eat, I would like to give them money. You know, but anyway, let's go back to the uh, kidnapping. <clears throat> sure, sure. It was November 20th, 2001. And I just, it was f about 4 p.m. Uh, 4 p.m. I came back. It was Ramadan, Ramadan 5th, I think. I came back from my work. I was with my mother alone in the house. And I just came, but because they were like, watching me from afar, as soon as I came, came to the house, they entered 
two cops. And they said, we need you to come with us. I said, okay, can I take a shower? They said, yeah, you can take a shower because I was tired. I took a shower, changed, and then my mother was shaking. She was so afraid. This is not the UK. This is not the police coming to you said, do you have a arrest warrant? And you see it, you sign it, and then you come. And they will tell you the reason why they took you, you know, search and seizure. There was nothing like that. One thing, America called my president, arrest that guy. This is not good. I mean, you guys always like, especially in the West, they always look at people from this part of the world, i.e. Africans, and they said, those people are crazy. They kill people. So, dude, we cannot breathe. You know, this is so much disrespect. You know, so much. Your mother, I don't know how a father or a mother feel when you take their son away and you cannot tell them why you take their children. You know, I never appreciated the pain and suffering that my mother went through mm -hmm. that day because it would take me 20 years when I have my own son to understand this is horrific. So, <clears throat> and they put me, they told me, you drive your car and then you can come back with your car. I drove my car and I was looking in the rearview mirror to my mother. She was frantically praying, holding her prayer beads until she disappeared about 200 meters. I turned right, she disappeared forever. I never saw my mother again. And the first thing I know, like uh, she died in 2012, I was in prison, like 11 years after that. They came to me. They said, your mother passed away. I never had a chance to say goodbye. I never had a chance, you know, to grieve with my family. I have so much pain in my heart. And I start to punish my body so that also my body has the same pain. And I stood up and start to sing the Quran 10 hours until I collapsed. I couldn't anymore. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, this is knowing that I was innocent. They put me in 2003, two times on the lie detector. And they knew that I was innocent. And in 2005, 2005, my prosecutor, Mo Davis, I hope he listened to this and he can come on your show and tell you the same thing. He came to the CIA, FBI, military intelligence, all relevant agencies. They were unanimous. There is no evidence Muhammad did anything. 2000 freaking five. And I was not allowed to go back to my mother and work and feed my family. This mm. is not justice. To think back to when they told you about your mother, I mean, how does it feel now? You know, it, it's very painful, you know, knowing that you failed your mother. It doesn't matter the reason. Why did you join politics? Why did I go on demonstration? Why did I, I go to Afghanistan? That was my choice. You can't think that way. Uh, but that's, you know, you f when you fail your family, you fail your You didn't family, fail your you family. Know? Yeah, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, I cannot describe you how much scared I was when they put me in that plane because the US did not know what to do with me because they were like, he needs to be roughed up. He needs to be tortured because when he's in Mauritania, this is his home. And we don't know how much the Mauritanian intelligence is going to do our bidding. 
So we need to remove him from Mauritania. And the Mauritanians were, were doing their bidding, but they didn't know. They just want to be sure I'm going to be hurt in a place that I knew no one. So they brought a commanders, you know, and they put me in this plane. You know, this is how death, you know, look like when you know you are going to die. You know, you are, there is no one who's going to look at you as mercy. You are a terrorist. That's enough. Terrorist, this, the word itself, it's, you know, it awakens fear and blood and evilness. He's a terrorist. And when I came up the stairs, the plane was small. It's called, I think, the company called Golf Wings, they use to uh, rendition people. And uh, <clears throat> it was small, like, it was hidden in the airport. It did not go through the uh, ride, you know, because I was taken through a gate, different gate that people like you don't get to go through, you know? And uh, you see like airport, you think security, everything, everybody goes through this. No, there are other gates, you know? And uh, like for drug dealer, for like people who are very powerful, people who did bad thing and all people, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, and then the guy said, the, the Jordanian guy said, where is the target? I don't know what he said, what word he used, but where is the guy we need to pick up? And then the director of intelligence in my country looked, looked at him and said, this is the guy. And he was shocked. He did not expect me, you know. And, and then I started translating between them because he spoke with a heavy, like, Jordanian accent. And because of my relationship in Germany with different Arab cultures, I know almost all the dialects, Arab dialects, you know. But it's just like, let's say, a guy from New York for the first time speaking with a Scottish guy. He, he would not understand anything, you know. So he was like talking and then my guy, the guy who was throwing me on the bus said, I didn't understand you. And then I translate between them to facilitate my kidnapping because I just wanted to get over with it. And maybe I want like their sympathy, but you know, they have no sympathy, you know. Anyway, so they took me and I was wishing that the plane crashes. They landed in Cyprus. And, you know, Cyprus is uh, European Union. Like, you remember this organization used to be part of back in the days? Yeah. That yeah, yeah. one. That, that horrible yeah. institution that we hate. A horrible institution, you know. So, and I was praying that they controlled the plane because I was illegally crossing the country. And in order to get a visa for Europe, for an African young man, it's almost next to impossible. But if America tells you, he, you can cross the border, all the border without visa, without passport, you know, because it's America, you know. And uh, I spent eight months like, of pain and suffering. I didn't know days, nights, Mm. I, I, the first time that I know that fear has a taste, fear actually has a taste, you know, you taste in your mouth, it's very bitter, it's like, 
you like you like choking and so and I was like rinsed like you know like like I saw death so many times you know was this in Guantanamo or in Cyprus or at this point no 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 in Cyprus in Cyprus I only stood there I think they drank coffee or they took huh. they just make a break because the plane need to cannot fly very far because they need to f- to refuel and to take a break. This is a journey like for this is like, you know, America is behind you. You don't need to fear anything. You know, you mm. are like a rock. Mm. And then they just continued. And they stopped, I think, two times after that. And then uh, we landed in Jordan. They put me in Jordan. Okay, so that was the eight, eight months in Jordan, in Jordanian prison. What was the fear like? Because you don't have information to give them. I'm sure at that point you wanted to tell them everything, but you don't, you don't have yes. anything. I absolutely wanted to tell them everything. I have, no, there is nothing I didn't want to tell them. But they wanted something that I don't. They, they wanted me to tell them how 9-11 happened. I, f- I fucking know how 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And there is no fucking way they would get that out of me because when I take your ass into prison this very moment and ask you uh, like about, I don't know what attack. In Nairobi, I don't know. Uh, some attack. There is no way you can tell me anything because you just don't know it. Were you tempted to make stuff up just to? I mean, because I presume to, late on, late yeah. on, late on in 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 when I was really tortured, really bad. Then they threatened my mother. They kidnapped her. She would rape. I said, "I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I'm guilty, and I need your forgiveness." And they told me to write it down. Ugh. And then First Sergeant Charlie came to me, and he told me. Let's say maybe this 9-11 wouldn't fly back. You may have, uh, you may have uh, planned to attack CN Tower. I don't know what CN Tower is. I never been to Toronto. And then I said, yes, I was going to attack CN Tower. <laughs> the CN Tower. CN Tower, yes. Because this is like very smart of, uh, very smart of uh, the team, you know, mm. Richard Zoll and his team, because in America, the easier thing to convict someone is to admit that you were planning to do something. You know, and there is no short sentence in terrorism. There is no short sentence in terrorism. So they get something very clean that will explain everything, that will explain why I was talking to my uh, on the phone with my friends. Please, please uh, bring some tea and sugar. One phone conversation. And then we'll explain, like, we'll involve also my friends. And, and uh, I said, yes, I, I did it. I did it, and I'm sorry and everything. And uh, What kind of, do you mind taking me through some of the, the torture methods they used? I, I don't want to take you unnecessarily back to that place if you don't want to discuss it, but, it, but it, you know, up to, it's totally up to you. Uh. Yeah, I don't want to discuss, but I will tell you like what the audience definitely need to understand. Uh, so when I came to Guantanamo Bay, you know, 
I was happy because I watch uh, married with children. And, and I watch occasionally Law and Order. So I know two things about America. They are funny and they respect the law. Yeah. And then I was like talking, pep talking to other detainees, don't be upset. This is not Afghanistan. This is not Arab country. This is America. They will, they will, you can't have lawyers. If you didn't do anything, don't be upset. And you can ask them for political, uh, political protection if you cannot go back to your country. And I was genuinely happy to be in Guantanamo Bay. That happiness was very short-lived. So first they told me, okay, what did you do? do? I give them all my life. And then I knew they were not looking for whether I studied this or whether I went to the city. They wanted to tell them hardcore, like horrific stuff that I was involved in. I was like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. I, I didn't do shit against you. And you know what? I'm not talking to you anymore. Done. They said, oh, okay, but you know, you are not going home. I said, no need to go home. I'm just enjoying my time. And then, but I'm not talking to you anymore. You can do what you want to do. And then I was like, Iraq, no talking that. And then they were so frustrated. They said, this guy is holding crucial information. What they call it, I think they say, they say operational, operational, I think, something huh. like that. You, like you were not being operational? No, no, like uh, operational intelligence. Op oh, okay. operation. Uh, there is a word that they use uh, hmm. for, uh, yeah. you know, for that intelligence that is dynamic and, you know, going on, something sure. like that. Okay. You know, anyway, so they said he has, you know, some kind of intelligence, they said. And then they said he need to be tortured. I did not know that. I did not get the, the memo because if I got it, I would not have signed off on my own torture. And then I was talking and so and like telling them, you can do what you want. And they said, but we will do stuff to you. I said, the sooner, the better. I remember this. I did not speak a lot of English, but I always said, the sooner, the better. It was very dumb. Okay. They took oh, me, they brought man. the team, took me. The first 70 days, no sleep. And Andrew, this is like a lie, but this is accessible because a lot of what I'm telling you is the class five, 70 days without sleep. I cannot explain to you how that feels. So they just keep waking, waking you up if you're trying to sleep? Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Day and night interrogation. They had three shifts. And then halfway through the 70 days, another shift, fourth shift. You know, And they put me back no shower because they they want like to they call it ego down uh -huh. it's one of the method ego down and uh, the futility I, I saw that in the court stuff futility ego down and everything ego up also to screw you up and then uh, uh, so and they take you back so no shower they want to tell you that you smell bad and everything taking me back, and then a little bit in my cell, then they grab me again. This is not 
only 70 days. After that, oh, I'm only saying that the very intensive sleep deprivation. Later on, they use another method. No shift, water. They call it water diet. Every one hour or two hours, they force you to drink one liter of water. Huh. You will not sleep. And this is so dangerous that later on the doctor told me people die. You know, die because From drinking too it, much water. Yes, yes, because it screw your uh, electrolyte balance. You know, huh. and uh, but one thing you cannot sleep because you are either on the bathroom all the time on the bathroom. Oh, I remember hell. just closing a little bit my eyes, and you know when you are asleep. And then this, this painful push in your blood and you have to wake up. And to this day, to this day, I always have my bathroom very close from my bed so that I could crawl to the bathroom, you know, and because that's what I did for so long. Anyway, and then they use like sexual assault, like contact, like contact. So, and like women, and they use men to facilitate, hold you, and so. Like, there is no penetration. I have to be very accurate because this is bad enough and I'm not going to make it worse than it was. You know, they, they touch your genitalia and they play with them. And they rub them against you and the men participate also in this. Oh my God. Yes, that can't be signed off as like a professional thing that they do there. Look, Andrew, Andrew, this is why I said we need to respect the rule of law. When you said 48 hours, you can arrest UK people. You are opening, <laughs> you are opening like, uh, uh, you know, a, mm, a, a can, a can yeah. of worms. Yeah. Because people start to, because there is no control anymore. Because you told me, you told me because, you know, people, uh, one thing that I, I noticed that, you know, those poor agents, men and women who did this horrible stuff, they were told you need to break this guy. But you don't know how to break someone. You can kill someone before you break them. And it happened, you know. Rahman Gul died in the cold room, you know, like the one I described in my book. He died. He couldn't take the call before he talked to them. And uh, Dali War, in Bagram, the same prison I was in, he was beaten to death. You know, you cannot, you are not a doctor. Even doctor cannot say, okay, I'm going to torture this guy, but I'm going to keep him alive. You cannot, there is no guarantee, you know. And that's one of the biggest problems that torture is banned for a reason under no circumstances inter international law under no circumstances can you torture someone no circumstances i would say anything like as soon as somebody started torturing me i would tell them eh, whatever that i would lie just just to get them away so that's that's yeah why... it's, it's painful it's not worth it like and like a lot of people think okay like like, so when they started torturing me, I was shocked. I didn't know what to say. 
and I didn't know what is going to save me because I have to invent. I don't have any information that I was withholding. So I have to, so what's going to stop this? If someone tortured you to admit to someone something you didn't do, it's very hard, you know, mm. very hard because you need to, what, what should I say, you know? But when they said they will torture my mother too, I said, no, I need, I need to sign, you know, to mm. invent. And there was nothing. And a lot of people think, okay, I'm not talking because I'm afraid. You are not thinking of death penalty. You are not thinking of, because that's the, the moment you want the pain to go away. That yeah. moment. I remember Shali coming to me when they, I was the first person to be elected for death penalty. My file went to death penalty. Oh my God. And yeah, and they came to me. They said, yeah, we, you are selected for death penalty and so, and then you need to, we need to help you. So if you want, like, if you give up other people, they say, write them out in America. I don't know what to say in, in England then we can reduce like to 30 years. I was like a stone looking at him. I didn't give him any answer because I was like, okay, I don't know what to say. If someone tells you I'm going to kill you for something you didn't do, I don't know what to, you know, I just like, you know, this is more like the so-called terrorist groups. It's not like a state, you know, killing me. Yeah. Why? What did I do to you, you know? And, uh, and uh, yeah, there was like, you know, when they took me also to the boat ride and then they tilted yes. me, they kept like pouring water over my face. And I, uh, on many occasions, I thought I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. And this salt water forced itself into my system. It's very dangerous, you know. And then they beat me. And then when they beat me, beat me, beat me until I, I, I was bleeding like. If you listen to the podcast in This American Life, you know, no. I couldn't see myself because one of the guards, he drew me bleeding everywhere. And then they pour ice on me, on my body, oh. all my body in ice. So to heal me right away and go back and beat me again. Guantanamo is famous for waterboarding. Is that what you were describing, the waterboarding? Yes, yes. When they tilted me, I didn't know what the name. I just found myself choking, I, I'm gonna die. And kept the, the, the salt water kept filling me. Oh my God. Mm. It's just the most horrific, horrible thing. Did you have, in all those years, how many years were you in Guantanamo Bay? And did you have any, any access to the outside world? Could anyone visit you? Did you get the news or anything? No, 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 news was blockade. In 2000, the first time I saw TV, first time, it was late 2009, like eight years. They, they, they showed us like certain TVs that the certain channel they want us to see. And later on, like we could like, uh, we could like, uh, you know, uh, more and more news start coming in, but the lawyers, the only civilian we meet are the lawyers and the lawyers are not allowed to tell us anything. You know, but from 2010, late 2009, 2010, I started to see the news, the channel they, they, they allow us to see. And no, nobody could visit you and your family didn't, did they know where you were? Yes, yes, at first not. My mother used to bring uh, uh, clothes and money and 
food to the prison Mauritania, thinking for, I think, at least one year that I was in the prison Mauritania when I was long gone. They did not want to believe I was in Guantanamo Bay. But the Der Spiegel broke the story, and my brother, Yahdi, who is German citizen, told them, but they said no. Mauritanian intelligence told us he's Mauritania. And the Mauritanian intelligence was much more better story, much better story than the one in their Spiegel. I always, you know, there is one thing, one thing I all that amazes me every single time. We human beings are very weak and we really want to feel comfortable. And that leads us always to talk to the police when they arrest us, always. Because the police, they give you hope. They give you redemption. They want you to feel good. And any lawyer, any lawyer you talk to will tell you, you cannot talk to the police. Because there is no way this is going to help you. Because if you're guilty, you're fucked. And if you are not guilty, you can make yourself guilty, you know, just by saying stupid stuff. But every single time, every single time, because I'm obsessed with true crimes and I watch everything I could because those people remind me of myself. When I was at first in Guantanamo Bay and FBI come to me, you know, if you talk to us, if you have been, uh, what they say, FBI always, forthcoming. They always like this word, forthcoming with us. You know, it's a crime to to lie to the FBI. Actually, it's a crime to lie to the FBI. Uh, but, you know, the other hand, the FBI job is to lie to you and to <laughs> deceive you. <laughs> but it's so comfortable. And, you know, when you sit with the lawyers, it's so uncomfortable because the lawyer, they will tell you, you screwed and I need to help you. You know, this is, but the interrogator will tell you, I'm going to help you through this. I helped so many other detainees, you know, and this cannot sound like a lie because it makes you feel good, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally can understand that. I would be talking to the police the whole time as well if they arrested me, just because <laughs> they would give me some something, some support, hope. some They give hope. you hope. They're the good yeah. guy. The yeah, good supposedly. guy. supposedly. Tell me, so yes. what, was it, what was it like... Um, <laughs> When you were released, what was the feeling of like, you know, breathing fresh air outside and being free and stuff? Was it, was it good? Were, th- were there problems with that? Freedom. Yeah. There is nothing like freedom. You can only understand freedom. You, we cannot understand heat without knowing cold. Cannot understand like beautiful. If we haven't seen ugly. You know, we cannot understand like this is good on the skin when you don't compare to something else that is like not good on the skin. Yeah. If you lose your freedom, you understand what freedom is. If you never lost it, there is no freaking way I can explain to you how good you have it that now after this call, you can go watch anything you want. You can read any book you want. You can go outside, 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 and then go to a bar, go to a pub. You guys call it pub, and do whatever you want to do. Oh, you know, yeah. In prison, the first night is the hardest. You know, 
when they slam, you know, the door shut, the, the, the noise of those metal doors. Whenever I hear a little bit, I wake up. I wake up just like, and I hear those things. And you don't know when they tell you, 760, hands out. And you have to put your hands out, shackle it. You cannot eat except if they give you food. If you get angry, you have to deal with your anger in that cell. You cannot go out. You cannot drive your car away and have a weekend, nice weekend. You cannot squeeze water without them watching you squeeze water. You cannot change your clothes without them watching yourself. You know, it, you know, this squeeze is like water, Squeeze water. Do, do you mean, you mean uh, cry? Pee. Oh, pee. No, no, right, I mean so. pee. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a vernacular for pee. Freedom is like the one thing I always wanted. I want to walk on a, a street that is so long because my view, the, the widest I could see, maybe it's like 10 yards or five, five uh, yards. The widest. I never saw the sunset or rise for 15 years. Never. The thing that you take for granted, like two idiot people put themselves on Instagram. Oh, I'm seeing the, enjoying the sunset. That's, I was not allowed to see, you know. And uh, I, I didn't know day and night when I was first released. One time I woke up, I don't know when, from the hotel because my family get me a hotel. Then I kept like walking, 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 walking. You know, and then when I reached this place, it was a mosque. There was no one in the mosque. I said, this must be the dead of the night. And then I came back. I just, because I just want to walk with no sniper wire, no one threatening your life. No one telling you, you know, just, you know, it's beautiful. It took me like three weeks to wake up and said, okay, three or six weeks to wake up, said, now I'm a free man. I think what you're saying that all the listeners and myself, we can try and learn something from that. So trying to try to appreciate the lives we have instead of getting so worried about all the little things. But the, I mean, the thing is that will work for about an hour or two and then, and then we'll just continue worrying about the little things again, I guess. And don't forget ever kindness. Kindness is not something you can go to the supermarket and say, you know what, give me one ounce of kindness. You need to have kindness, you know. And this is where my forgiveness, you know, comes from. I have a vow of kindness because this is when I saw death, this is the only thing I regretted. When I made a bad comment to someone, I care about my partner, my mother, my sisters, my brother, my friends. I regret. I never regret I didn't have money. I never regret I didn't get those girls who didn't want me. Never. They didn't matter to me. Money didn't matter to me. Only thing that mattered to me, kindness. And I took a vow, said, oh Allah, if you allow me to live again, I will be a kind person. And I'm telling you, it's not easy, but easier than making money or having the, uh, this uh, 500 fortune uh, or fortune 500, you know, and just being kind to humanity, you know, always leave a good taste in the mouth when you talk to someone. 
I think that's a beautiful point to end on because we're just running out of time a bit. Did you see those questions I sent to you? No, because I was talking to you. What do you think I I'm doing? Okay. No, no, like uh, <laughs> no. I mean, no, I, I mean, two weeks I didn't ago. I'm sorry. Don't worry I, I'm about sorry, it. Sorry, I didn't have time. Maybe you can answer them anyway. What do you think? It would just be ten minutes. Uh, you uh, ten minutes? I don't know. I I I, I have a vow of kindness, but I'm really tired. That you're that tired. Break my vow. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It won't break your vow. Uh, well, listen, thank you so, so much for joining me and for telling your story. It was really beautiful to hear. Did you enjoy it? Absolutely. And I love the fact that you're brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not brainwashed. I'm listening to every side. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, first, I'm just teasing you. But <laughs> I'm saying too that, you know, like, you are in a democracy. You need to challenge the narrative, the official narrative. You know, you know, UK people are known to be intelligent and very like challenging. You know, there is this journalist, you know, I don't remember his name, but he reported on Vietnam and everything. He said, I would not believe any news until it's officially denied. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I I will I will uh, take your advice on board and I will start to question more narratives. Question more, question more. That's absolutely, <laughs> and this is very old person before you. And do not, I always pick, pick like apart the narrative said, why should I accept your narrative? No. <laughs> I totally understand. Anyway. I think that, that's Thank my job as a, as a journalist. I have to try to Absolutely. get Absolutely. it. He's quite feisty, isn't he? And who can blame him for being so after all he went through? I think he's right that no matter your beliefs and convictions, you should be allowed to fight and protest for what you think is right in any particular moment, providing you don't commit crimes such as murder or do things that otherwise lead directly to other horrific acts. What he went through is absurd and I don't think I could last a single day of it and it can't be right. One of my favourite film scenes ever and it's not a really uh, out there choice, I think a lot of people like this scene, is that you can't handle the truth, you can't handle the truth speech from Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, where he talks about how easy it is for the rest of us to criticise them when they use too much force. But at the end of the day, the reason we can sleep snug and safe in our beds at night is thanks to them. So it is complicated, and I'm not here to judge the US or the army or even the decision makers at the top from a moral perspective. But all I can say is that what happened to Muhammadu should never ever happen to anyone. I do wish I'd had more time, but right now I can't do these extra long Joe Rogan-like episodes. I have to always tell myself to keep it under an hour and 15 minutes or so, or I won't be able to edit and finish in time to get it out to you. I would have wanted to ask more about the torturers and whether he'd developed relationships of any kind with them, or whether they were really sadistic, enjoying hurting him. What was it like as well, coming out to all the new technology after 14 years inside? But you can find out more about Muhammadu by searching his full name, Muhammadu Uld Salahi. He has a long Wikipedia page. You can follow him on Twitter and you can buy his book, 
Guantanamo Diary. So do get that if you want to know more. Next week is Professor Paul Bloom to talk about why we like to suffer sometimes. It's fascinating stuff, so stick around for that. Thanks again to my new Apple subscribers. I can't see your names, but thank you anyway. It means a lot to me that you keep on signing up. There are about 46, 47 of you now. And on Patreon, we're up to about 70-odd. Uh, thank you to Claire H., Nick M., Hugh Evans, and Adrian Mayer, who I speak with a lot on Twitter and YouTube. Thank you all so much for helping to keep this thing running. Please, everyone, do leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or CastBox. Uh, Dali Fan 2021 wrote on Apple in Canada, five stars. Thank you, Andrew. Excellent variety of interesting topics. I appreciate easy back and forth you and your guests employ with one another. Cheers, mate. Oh, thank you, and thanks for employing the British colloquialism there with the cheers and the mate. That's there's a lot of Britishness in just those two words. Thank you very much, Dali Fan 2021. And then Dude Mac in the UK gave five stars and wrote Bagini, which is a reference to Julian Bagini, the philosopher who was on a couple of weeks ago. Extremely interesting, thought-provoking, and very enjoyable interview. Thank you very much, Dude Mac. And that's all for this week. Remember to come join me on YouTube or at least subscribe or something. I'm growing that channel, youtube.com slash andrewgold1 so I can chat to you, with you, most Mondays at 6pm UK time uh, while premiering premiering the video version of the episodes. And you can see my cool lights I've got in my background, my proper YouTube setup. So I'll see you there or here or both next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.